Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, it's Lainey. Hey, it's Duanna. Welcome to Show Your Work. And yeah, here we are. There it is again. Surprised. <laughs> Surprised the podcast is starting. Once a thing. Well, I mean, what am I going to say? It's like, welcome to show your work. And I'm like, yeah, welcome. Welcome. Um, welcome to your kitchen table. Welcome to my um, cold sore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, welcome. It Should is- we name it? Thank you. I have been, this was the thing I was going to do. Like, should I name my cold sore? A friend of mine was like, you should name it. And I was like, should I name it? Because I feel like if I name it, I won't want to kill it the way I want to fucking murder it right now. Right. So just for context here, um, we're days away from, uh, you know, the Super Bowl, as you would say, days away from the Oscars. And your little friend decided to show up. Yes. I will, on Oscar night, be broadcasting for two hours live uh-huh. to Canada. Mm-hmm. And as you said, uh, something decided to pay me a visit six days ahead. And so, yeah. This has never happened to you before. This is like a new deal. Listen, we get pimples before a big show, and that's whatever. A cold sore is its own, like, mass of crusty weirdness, but I'm generally not a cold sore person. I've had two in my life and the last one was 10 years ago, but I guess I must be under some kind of stress. Immunity or immune system is low. Anyway, this has happened. So I've been walking around with like white gunk um, all over my lips. Like medicated gunk, let's be clear. All around work, all around the streets. I look like, you know, someone just aimed come right at my mouth. I mean, I was, no, you look like you carelessly brushed your teeth, which, sure, you know. Anyway, I have taken some Valtrex. Hopefully it'll kick in and hopefully uh, by Sunday we'll not have an issue. But here we go. This is part of the work of the Oscars. Yeah, sure. Um, But the reason that I said, should we name it? And I mean, you know, you might want to, like, maybe that was enough of an intro right there, but now that we've brought this up is because, of course, you know what it makes me think of? What? It makes me think of um, the last time you had a friend. Um, oh, my on my eye. Yeah. You had a friend <laughs> on your eye a few years back. During the Toronto International Film Festival. That's right. Like, yes. and you you did a whole glasses-wearing thing. Mm-hmm. There was a whatever. Yep. Um. And but at one point, uh, we, uh, you and I, and our friend Lorella on our beloved uh, group chat, yeah. started like MS painting it. <laughs> yep, we painted it with Donald Trump's hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. First there was like a rotate, and then we added a face, and then it just seemed to yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and it certainly made me feel more like invested <laughs> in its life. So yeah, I, I thought maybe that's what we're doing here. Okay, name him. Well, I can't really see him. I've been like avoiding my eyes. You know what? I'm not saying this for your ego benefit, but it's not that big. Like it's little. It's, it's. Duanna, don't 
fucking jinx me. Okay, but like it looks like like a pippy. It's gonna or a- hear you and be like, "You want a big? I'll show you big." Okay, so then so we're doing that thing where giant guys are sometimes named tiny. Okay, so you want to call it Hulk? Is that what you're doing? Okay, Bruce Banner, the cold sore. Welcome. Great, Bruce Banner. It is done. Uh, it is Oscar week, though. Yeah, um, and. Oscar week is like, I mean, it's funny that you say that like it's just started because it feels like it's been starting for a month, right? It has. And I just, because Oscar week for us is like probably the heaviest work week in or heaviest work weekend mm-hmm. of the year, mm-hmm. we have talked about this before. We will go to bed Saturday night and then you and I won't really sleep until we get back to Toronto on Tuesday morning. But… Tuesday morning being operative word means more work. So really Tuesday night. That's right. Yes. And so on Sunday night after the Oscars, you, Kathleen, and I will be writing all night, posting, fighting. Yeah. I think I've complained about my most annoyed issue about that whole process before. Uh, But just to reiterate, we're watching on the West Coast. The red carpet begins at like Two, the actual show broadcast is on at between 5 and 5.30, depending on what you call that official pre-show before yeah. the show show. It's over, even with all its length, it's over at between 8.30 and 9. Yeah. And still, somehow, still, we're not actually writing our actual first words of, whew, that's how the show no. went until midnight. Yeah. Like, if we're lucky, maybe 11. Maybe. Yeah. But, like, inevitably, like… Yeah, as you say, there's sort of bantering and discussion of what we're going to do and then winding oh, down. No. And You know what you do is you turn on the TV. Every fucking year, you turn on the TV for the Jimmy Kimmel thing. You are the one who always <laughs> wants to watch the Jimmy Kimmel thing. And You're the like, people are going at- on Jimmy Kimmel. People are going on Jimmy Kimmel. And the arrivals at the governor's ball, which literally is happening below our feet. <laughs> yes. Below our feet. And, well, the way I remember it is I'm like, turn it off. Turn it off. We have to start writing. Disagree. Clearly, you have a different memory. Disagree. And then there's like people coming by wanting to socialize and whatnot. And no, we spend the first hour like finding memes and things that people have said. And oh, nobody's talking about, oh my God, somebody did talk about this and so forth. So yeah, we'll be there with our like, you know, post-it notes Mm -hmm. and uh, pens and freely moving all over the room and yeah. coffee and the whole thing, for sure. But uh, it's, yeah, it doesn't make any difference that we're three hours earlier because no. it's just as late no matter what. All this to say, though, heads up, we won't be doing a post-Oscars podcast next week, but there will be a very special episode of Show Your Work uh, uploaded next week, oh, regular it's time. Real, it's really worth it. It's way better than us on No Sleep talking about… That's right. Yeah. So we aren't taking a break next week, um, but it just won't be Oscar material because we'll have written all our Oscar material, but a brand new episode of Show Your Work. And a special one that we've been hanging on to for you. We've been like sitting on it, waiting to release it, and we're so excited. So look out for that next week. This week, though… Yes. We are, as you say, staring down the barrel. It is Monday as we talk about this. Uh, and it was kind of a holiday Monday, but not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Canada, it is and it isn't. It's a bit of a manufactured holiday. And of course, President's Day, I believe, in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and so by the time you're hearing this on Wednesday, you will actually already be there. 
Yes. So I leave for LA on Wednesday. If you guys are keeners and you listen to this podcast the moment we upload it, thank you very much. When you're listening to this, if it's Wednesday, I will be probably landing in LA. I thought you were being like, if you're keeners, you can come meet me at the airport. Like, <laughs> nope, don't do that. <laughs> Nobody would anyway. Nobody would brave LAX for anyone. Um, yeah, I'll be landing in LA because my work before the work of the Oscars is I have been assigned to the Captain Marvel junket. So I will be seeing the movie on Wednesday night and interviewing the cast on Thursday and then going straight into Oscar prep. Which is giving us an opportunity to talk about junkets and how they work. Because junketing is a big part of the work of promoting anything, not just movies. It used to be mostly movies with junkets, and now they're doing junkets for like TV series and TV premieres, right? All over the place, absolutely. But, you know, one of the first things that we should talk about is junkets are usually done on a weekend, right? Um. They used to be. Yeah, generally speaking. Um, but as, as you say, as they've gotten more popular, and especially if you want to capitalize on a whole bunch of talent at a time when a whole bunch of talent is going to be busy covering yeah. the biggest entertainment event of the year, i.e. the Oscars and the Independent Spirits and whatnot, um, it's notable that the junket is on a Wednesday. When I first started in this business about 15 years ago, yeah, junkets were always like Saturday and Sunday. So I'd fly into LA on a Friday. They'd bus us over to a movie theater on a Friday night. We'd see the film. And you know what the studios typically do is they combine junkets. Mm -hmm. So if Fox and Sony want to junket at the same time, what they'll do is they'll make their movies junket on the same weekend. So you see, I guess, both movies back to back on a Friday night or one on a Friday and one on Saturday, and then the junket for one will happen on a Saturday, and the junket for the other would happen on a Sunday. Then you get on a plane and you go home on the Sunday night. That's what used to happen when I first started in the business. Now, yeah, it's all over the place. You can have a junket on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. You can have a junket on a Thursday. It's not set anymore. Right. And there are people, and were people, but are people who refer to themselves as junketeers which is to say that because of their job, um, whether they are reviewers for a certain outlet, often reviewers, as opposed to you are an on-air host, Mm -hmm. so your junket is being used as content on the show, which is slightly different than people who see every movie and then write them up for the Orlando Sentinel or the whatever, right? Like the Michigan Sunfire. I don't know. Uh, I think the Orlando Sentinel is a real outlet, and my apologies to Michigan. But there was a really entrenched lifestyle and a group of people who knew. When I went on my first junket, I was shocked by how everybody really knew the routine. Like, everybody was clearly, they all knew each other because they were together every weekend. And they all knew the routine. Um, And the first time, it was very new to me. So tell me first, do you know the psychology behind why everybody sees the movie together. I don't, but before we get there, I just wanted to make a quick observation because you talked about the first time you went on a junket, you, like, it was so fucking new to you. You're like, oh my God, all these people know each other because it's like a band of, it's a caravan. Every weekend they see each other, right? Like, I just mentioned the the usual, the old junket schedule used to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets on a plane, they go home, 
like they go to Kansas, they go to wherever, and then like by Friday they're seeing each other again. That's, That's right. They're how back. it used to work. And I saw the movie Notting Hill way before I got into this business. Mm-hmm. But now when I watch Notting Hill, you know what I mean, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so Hugh Grant like is not a junketeer and he gets thrown into a junket situation. And that is a pretty accurate that was a pretty, of course it would be because the movie is about a movie star, but that was a pretty accurate portrayal of how a junket works. They throw you in a room, you have three minutes, and you're just supposed to make idle chit-chat and then leave. Well, let's back up a bit. So uh, junketeers, yeah, are people who are doing this every weekend. And people who uh, often wind up like they all seem like they are, the old expression is straight out of central casting. Uh-huh. Like everybody is a type. Yes. Right? They all have kind of a thing because whether they are uh, on-air talent or not, they're sort of, they have a brand because when you only have three minutes, they're walking into the room trying to be, you know, have their personality already be kind of explained so that whomever they're interviewing right. knows who they are. Yeah. Um, and so we'll get into exactly how that works when we talk about walk into a room, but What's interesting about the junket that you have coming up and Captain Marvel is that it's maybe going to look a little different and it maybe won't necessarily be all the usual suspects. Oh, I can't fucking wait to see what this junket looks like. So this is because Brie Larson, as uh, we've been talking about for a while, uh, has been putting her money where her mouth is. She has been using the opportunities that she has to make some changes. And one of the things that was really interesting to me was in a Marie Claire article a couple of weeks ago, uh, she's interviewed by a woman named Kia Brown. And Kia is notable. She explains that she and Brie kind of got friendly on social media. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things where a celebrity says, oh, I'd like to be interviewed by this person, which is fine. But then she goes on to explain that one of the things that Brie Larson has been doing, which Sarah wrote about on the site as well, is being active about wanting a much more diverse set of interviewers Mm -hmm. at press events, particularly for Captain Marvel, particularly for uh, a Marvel kind of event, which has traditionally been, I don't know, a subset of junketeers, like comic book heads, Right. right? So that's interesting on its own. It, like, did it surprise you? It it didn't surprise me, and yet it did surprise me. And what I mean about that is, as you said, she's been very vocal about demanding inclusion, demanding representation, and it was across the board. So initially, you thought that it was, or people thought it would be within the business, like the people on set, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. writers and directors and other actors, right? Like, that was the thing that was, okay, it's in the work that you consider to be the work. The creation in whatever way you consider that to be creation. That's right. Right. And then she, and then like a few months ago, I actually remember, I don't know the exact words, but she was like, just you wait. It's going to be representation and diversity across the board. And when it extended to like things that she probably is going to wear and also people she would be talking to, that's when I was like, wow, yeah, you are really taking a 360 approach with this. Because a lot of them have talked about, we want to invest in projects that have 50-50, you know, the whole 50-50 Ryan Murphy thing. And a lot of people have been taking leadership roles in that. 
She is one of the first who's extended it to on the promotion side. I don't want to be talking to people who look exactly like me. I don't want to be talking to people who look exactly like the Hollywood executives. Let me see some new faces. And that has felt fresh. Or maybe it's selfish of us because we're those people. I mean, it, it's always exciting to see you in whatever form, right? I, I saw a tweet recently from a friend of mine who was so excited because in a simple favor, there's a teacher who is a, you know, all but a minor role, uh, who's a hijabi, a woman wearing a hijab. Yeah. And it's not a plot point. It's not an issue. It's just something she hadn't seen in a major picture before. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this initiative of Brie Larson's is it reminds us what we don't see. So Kia Brown, who I mentioned, is uh, a woman of color. She's a black woman, but she's also the creator of the hashtag disabled and cute. And one of the initiatives uh, on Bree's part is to include, yeah, not only people who appear different in their origin, but people who are differently abled, people who we don't see. And Kia points out people don't realize how vast the disabled community is. Mm -hmm. It's not just white men in wheelchairs. She says, some of us don't use mobility aids, others use them part-time. Some are vis some disabilities are visible, others are physical, but invisible. So I think that's really fascinating and exciting. And then I thought as we were talking about junkets and the well-known, well-worn process, um, what it could be like or what, you know, what would have been a barrier up to now. So for example, you say that everybody sees the movie all together. Yep. And if you were somebody who needed, say, a closed caption version of that movie, that wouldn't necessarily have been provided up to now. No. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, and then what happens after you see the movie? What happens is you watch the movie all together, you react all together, you like it or not, like the truth is, is that if you're in a theater full of people who are excited, it, it can be infectious. Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's true as any kind of viewer. Yeah. But now I'm thinking, I don't remember. Do they ever say uh, in print or otherwise, like, don't talk about the movie with others while you're coming home? Like, is there any sort of conversation it's about that? It's not unusual for there to be embargoes. So, and especially for big movies. Nowadays, they, And just, I'm going to yeah. jargon you for a second. Embargo, meaning you can't publish or discuss in public. Or even react sometimes. Right. Like certainly not on social media or whatever, right. uh, because you're an influencer. All, yeah. And I say that the royal you, anybody sure. who's on this trip is there because their opinion about this movie is going to matter. Or they have a platform to share an opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're seen as valuable or they wouldn't be there. Yeah. Nowadays though, they have a publication embargo for a proper review. And sometimes that's separate from a reaction embargo. So if you see the movie, you can totally go on Twitter, for example, and be like, just saw X, Y, Z, and I was thrilled. I'm on cloud nine, whatever. You just can't like write a 400 word piece being like, here's what worked and here's what didn't. But when you're on like the little bus that's bringing you from the movie to the party or the hotel, um, and if it was really terrible, like... Does everybody sit in silence or are you meant to, uh, like, is there somebody, because obviously there's always people from the movie yeah. there at every. There's chat. Right. Like there is chat. And there they're are not a lot of trying people. to shut that down in no, some way. Right. There's chat. There's definitely chat. And I mean, 
it's very unusual for the bus to be quiet. And when it is quiet, it's because people have been exhausted by travel. Right. Sometimes these junkets take place in like Russia or whatever. And <laughs> what? Yeah. I've never been on a Russian junket, but some people have, or like Greece or whatever. For instance, the Mamma Mia, the one that just came out recently last summer with, with Cher, that junket happened in Greece. So all the journalists, the junketeers would have been flown to Greece and then they would have seen the movie and then there would have been events and dancing and whatever. And yes, it can be tiring. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'm still back at a Russian junket and imagining like yeah. Putin on the bus being like, no, you're not talking about that. I can't remember which junket was in Russia, but I think it was like a Mark Wahlberg junket. I mean, that's interesting. I was right not there. there. Right. Like they would never send me to a Wahlberg. <laughs> they would never send me to like that kind of movie junket. But I'm just saying there have been like faraway junkets and yeah, the only time when the bus is quiet is when people are so fucking tired. Right. And you know, there's a few things there I want to unpack too, because as you're talking about that, I'm remembering uh, sort of almost stunt junkets. Like uh, the, there was the Tom Cruise one was a war of the worlds that was seven cities in seven days around yeah. the world or something like that, yeah. where that was a mission impossible, I think something like yeah. that, but it's, you know, it's Japan on Monday and Australia on Tuesday and right. so on and so forth. And so one of the things that's interesting about that is, yeah, in addition to being exhausted, people are also, let's be real on some level, you know, it's hard to feel like you can give a really terrible review if you're getting a round-the-world tour, right? <laughs> right. Um, maybe the exception is the, uh, remember the Rihanna, um, that plane, the 777 plane? Yes. Uh, and the journalists were kind of trapped waiting yes. for Rihanna for days and didn't know what was happening. I think by that point, they they broke ranks. Yes. But generally speaking, yeah, there's sort of a a thing where you know it's it's it it would be churlish to be openly grumpy about yeah. something when you are yeah in Greece like eating cheese on Mykonos or it's something. interesting like how perspective changes the more time passes though because I remember that Rihanna 777, like she was releasing her seventh album and yeah, people were invited to go on the plane. And it was go to July some, 7th, I think it was yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, like it was seven cities and this and that. And they were like, she's trapped us here. We haven't seen her <laughs> and all that. But when you, when you ask probably some of the same people now, yeah. they would be like, I would not have traded that oh, for it, the world. Like, no, it's a great story. Considering who Rihanna is and like they were waiting around for a glimpse of her. Like, I would want to tell that story over and over again now. You right. know what I mean? I mean, that's like all war stories, yeah. right? But I mean, I think there were fights breaking out over the last package of salted <laughs> nuts on the plane. Like, I, I think it was drama at the time. Um, okay, so then the next morning, it's time to junk it. And I yeah. think something that people don't necessarily know is when we talk about, oh, you went back to the hotel or whatnot, everything is happening in that spot. Yeah. So everything happens at the hotel where, like, you stay. Right. And then you might, like, if you're on the third floor, the junket's happening on, I don't know, the fifth floor, and there are, that whole floor is taken over for the talent. Each talent has a dedicated room. And you get a little breakdown, a little schedule mm -hmm. of when you're supposed to show up at each yeah. room. Well, everybody is assigned a block. Mm -hmm. So the first block is usually at 10 o'clock. So let's say there are three or four rooms. 
so that means three or four talent rooms to get to, then your block would be from 10 to 11 and you have an hour to move through four of those rooms, get your interviews, pick up your tapes or your cards now, (laughs) Uh, before it was tapes, but you pick up your cards, your digital cards, and then you're off. And then the next block would start at from like, let's say 11.15 to 12.15. Right. And yeah. so however many journalists are cycling through in each block, yeah. um, as we've said uh, numerous times on this show, uh, in maybe three-minute segments, right? Yeah. Maybe five. It's yes. a tiny amount of time to get something yeah. amusing out of people who have been asked over and over again, yeah. right? I just want to like walk people through it. Literally, picture a hotel hallway. You are seated in like banquet chairs, you know, like very ordinary chairs outside each room. And then someone with a clipboard comes out and says, Elaine from eTalk? And you say, yeah, that's me. They open the door, come on in. You go in, you say hello, you sit down immediately across from the talent. And when I, yeah, and the, when you say you say hello, you're saying hello to that talent, but also to all the various eyes and ears in the room. At least two or three camera operators, a sound technician, whoever like the time counter is, because um, there's a person there who's telling you, you have two minutes left. You have one minute left. That person. And you sit down. There is no time to be like, how are you? Did you like your breakfast today? It is just, you sit down. Hi. Okay. Uh, please slate your name. Slating means? You are, slating is literally like labeling yourself on camera so that if your tape gets lost, if your audio gets lost, they right. know who you are. So you say to camera, hi, I'm Duanna from Canada. That's right. And then they say, okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> and then you look at the person, you're like, I loved your movie. And uh, 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 how did you get into character? That's how it works. That's exactly how it works. And if people are in great moods, great. Yeah. And if they're in terrible moods, then tough. Because you have three minutes, you're not going to change That's right. anything. And you, yourself, and you know this, Joanna, you used to do it. My first rooms always suck. So I'm always hoping that, like, my first room is not going to be the interview that, like, our show is waiting on to cut, like, five stories out of, right? Like, sure, I'm going to do my best, but I need time to get lubricated. Like, right. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, um, I mean, if we really get into it, uh, I often wound up junketing uh, smaller movies or movies that, uh, you know, are where you know that you're only using one or two of the interviews, right? Um, as opposed to sort of the big ones. Um, the big joke is that the the biggest junket that I did to this day, and which I think if I look back, I think was almost all hits. Uh, was the original Wedding Crashers junket. Right. Uh, And I don't know, I got an early block, something happened, everybody was on. I feel really good about those interviews to this day. Uh, Here's my one anecdote, because you have so many. You walk in, they're checking the tapes, they're whatever, you slate, hi, I'm Duanna from Canada. And I said, hi, to Christopher Walken, who said, hi, I haven't seen the movie, don't ask me about it. (laughs) And now you have three minutes. Go. Yeah. Oh, okay. You haven't seen them. Okay, sure. Don't ask me about yeah. the movie. Okay. And things like that can yeah. happen, right? Or somebody is annoyed by whoever just left or whatnot. Exactly. Like all all these elements have to be in play. They have to be feeling it. You know, you groan when you're in the last block and you find out maybe you're in like the last wave of interviews. They're tired, mm-hmm. right? They've answered the same question over and over again. And to be fair to us, 
the reason they get asked the same question over and over again is because your audiences are not all going to be the same. Like if the reporter from Kansas is there to like sell the movie to the people watching in Kansas, they have to set a baseline. What's the movie about? Yeah, you want to know the things and nobody's going to ask you in three minutes. Can you talk about the polemic of the suburban contraband? Uh, Exactly. You can't ask those deep, exciting questions Mm -hmm. that you see, like that Barbara Walters used to ask because there's no time. Exactly. So anyway, they've answered questions all day. They're bored. They want to go home. They're, I don't know, they have a party that night that they have to get to. Whatever it is, like it also sucks to be near the end of the day. At the beginning of the day, you also worry that they're not warmed up, that they're not lubricated yet. So it's all a tricky balance. Then you have to be fresh. Like, I'm working out all the time. Like, what my banger first question is going to be to open it up, like, to make sure I nail it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it falls flat. And so now I just want to pause and talk about how what you're talking about is amassed over 15 years, over doing hundreds of these at this point. And so you've said, as we've kind of gone through, all kinds of things that could be a barrier to entry to people who haven't done this before, to people who are maybe differently abled, um, right? Everything from sitting in banquet chairs outside hotel rooms and navigating that, having to get to one room to the next really quickly, to, you know, uh, being, you know, maybe people of, they do obviously have junkets with people who speak English not as their first language Mm -hmm. or not as fluently, but, you know, I know that that's obviously a bigger struggle or, so, I mean, I'm wondering if we know that Brie Larson and the Captain Marvel junket are opening some things up. What are things that you think, how are they going to do it? How might it be different? Well, I think what's so smart about this is already you don't need that much planning to make it different because she's already said, hey, how about shaking up what this junket looks like. Uh And automatically, because different people will be here watching the film through their lenses, Uh and these are lenses we know are not typically represented in media, Uh they're going to maybe come with a different set of questions that we haven't heard before or that come at our movie from a fresh perspective. I'm looking forward to that. I'm talking in her voice. I feel like that's... I feel like that would be part of her rationale too. It's going to be more fun for me because I'm going to be meeting people and seeing people who don't get to do this very often. So their enthusiasm maybe will rub off on me or I will pick up on it. That to me is already a guarantee. Like to before she even sits down with these people, that's what she's hoping for. And I think that's what we're all hoping for. And it's not unlike what Brie actually had said earlier, maybe last year, and what Meryl Streep had echoed before her, which is about film criticism and how, for instance, primarily film critics were white men. Mm -hmm. And so when you consider what's been reviewed and considered good movie making, and then the films that maybe don't get good reviews that are female-led or centered, their point was, well, what would happen if we had parody in film criticism? Would the, like, Rotten Tomatoes score or, like, the Metacritic score of those movies go up? Would, like, they be recommending those films instead of saying, don't see this, this is trash, because they would see something different or something of themselves in the movie? 
And you could apply that to this situation. What Bree's saying, maybe the questions are going to be different. Oh, absolutely. The conversations are going to be different. And it's also, you know, I kind of referenced uh, the people who might have been on the junket in past years. It's also saying that these stories, especially the beloved, well-known comic book stories, can be for different people, that they're not just for people who have long known and loved these stories and whatnot, right? Which is true of any story that is kind of remade or reborn, that you want to make it for the people who are deep fans, but also the people who are finding it for the first Mm -hmm. time coming in cold. But what do you think, too, about any logistical changes? Like, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, Kia Brown talking about people who have different disabilities or that, that I'm thinking about Kia Brown talking about people who have disabilities that are, you know, present in different ways. I mean, you know, can you conceive of a junket done in a ballroom with uh, partitions for rooms instead of those hotel rooms to get back and forth? Or, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, how how big do you think she can make this change? I Look, I think anything is possible, right? Like, I've been to junkets where it hasn't been in a hotel. It has been in a ballroom or like a sort of like a wing of a, like a museum that's mm-hmm. been cordoned off and much more easily accessible. I definitely think that that's possible. I do think, though, that as we always say, Hollywood, or when we discuss the celebrity ecosystem, is also a reflection of the greater world. The greater world isn't um, accessible. There are many, for example, stops at the subway mm-hmm. um, where we live and in other cities where it's hard for people who have different abilities to get around. And so what I'm trying to say is, given that the world at large isn't as friendly and accessible to people of other abilities, yeah, Hollywood is the same. Oh, absolutely. Um, But also when you say, oh yeah, I've seen it done in museums or this and that, I think people often resist change because it's different but it's not that it can't be done, Mm -hmm. which is great, which is fantastic. Well, what Hollywood can do is maybe like make loud a call for change. Yeah. And to point out that, yeah, look, it makes it better. As you point out, as we have long known um, that gender parity and greater diversity and whatnot makes things better. It makes things appeal to more people. It makes things... Uh, have more layers, have more people appreciate different projects in different ways. Likewise, yeah, we can not be, you know, we don't need to be sheltered by what has gone before. And when you, when you and Meryl, uh, when you talk about what Meryl Streep and Brie have been talking about in terms of film criticism and, you know, that those critics have being the gatekeepers, if we know that these are people who are as interested in attending films and criticizing films as anybody else, we can also make films in that way. Because of course, those gatekeepers also exist for all the movies you never got to see, right? Mm -hmm. All the movies that never got the green light because the, let's just suppose, white man who's the decision maker was like, no, I don't think this is an appealing story. So I like that it's sort of reflecting entertainment change almost from 
the end backwards. Yeah. Um, that the end result backwards might be, oh, okay. So there is an audience here that people can see that uh, maybe we should speak to them. Imagine. But I also really like that when she says, hey, I would really like to see a more diverse field of media who are on this tour with me, who I speak to, then the media outlets have to look around themselves and be like, oh, who do we have? And if your field of reporters is like… If you're digging that (laughs) deep in your pockets to try and find somebody… Yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, it speaks… Yeah, it's two-sided, right? It doesn't speak all that well of an outlet if they don't have a great and diverse field of people to send. That said, it often is those situations that lead to, hey, kid, you want an opportunity? Mm -hmm. And as you've pointed out, anybody who hasn't had every advantage is going to run through that hey, kid door as fast as they can. That's what's really exciting about this because she's in a huge movie. Mm -hmm. So if she's doing it, you hope that other people are going to take that lead. Probably other women in the industry. The first one that comes to mind is, and only because I went to the movies the other night with Yasik, and they had a trailer for MIB, Men in Black International, right. starring Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Mm-hmm. I could totally see someone like Tessa Thompson taking that lead, being like, hey, this is what Brie did. We're all in the Marvel family. Like, I'm in the Marvel family too. I was in Thor. And if Brie was able to make that request, I feel like I can make that request. I would like to see more women and people of color on the press junket for MIB for MIB International. Well, but the other thing that's so exciting is that there are so many of these. Like when we were talking about the junketeers coming back every weekend, um, I'm sure there's a more precise number, but I don't think it is outlandish to say that people who were on junkets all the time were there, what, 40 weekends out of the year? Yeah. So there's ample opportunity to experiment. Yeah. Right? Maybe it's a Netflix situation where they do it for one of their releases uh, for a movie. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe, I don't know, uh, 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 not uh, P.S. I Love You, the the follow-up to To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Um, is like, I don't know, maybe it's staffed by all college kids, for example, or something. There's ample opportunity to try all kinds of things. Yeah. um, But it starts with one person being louder. And that's not to say that you demand or you request a more diverse field in the hopes of just getting good reviews. Like, nobody's saying that here. Oh, I, it didn't even occur to me. I'm actually looking at you with, uh, with utter shock here. Oh, I here know. You're that, almost outraged. I, a little bit, yeah. But it, it didn't occur to me that that would be the case. But you know there are people who are going to, like, people out there are ignorant. And there are people out there who will he'll be like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Now all the reviews are going to be the same. I mean, you know who I'm talking about. I guess so, but it did, yeah. I'm I'm being honest and not just Mary Sunshine. It didn't even occur to me that that would be a concern. Um, I mean, without getting into the whole thing of, of… It's not a concern. No, it's not. No, but I yes. mean that that would be an argument. Yes. There is, I guess, a discussion all the time that if you are… Yeah, if anybody is being sent on a trip, if anybody is being, you know, essentially gets to see this movie or gets yeah. the the press, uh, you know, the little, little giveaways or whatnot, that that can be seen as, hey, hope your review is favorable. But I believe, as I believe the promotion departments believe overall, that the, the exposure on its own, the review on its own, yeah. 
is more important than whether or not somebody says it's good, first of all. Yeah. But that second of all, yeah, I don't think this is… Anyway, uh, that's a long-winded way of saying I'm scandalized <laughs> that that would be said. No, and I… Listen, I'm scandalized too. I don't think that that is a concern. And yet, I do think that could be a misguided and, like, frankly, false accusation. But what you will not get or you may reduce and eventually eliminate are reviews like, do you remember a couple years ago when we were super into Big Little Lies? I mean, not that we're not, but yes, yeah. when it was happening. Yeah. When it was happening. And we discussed on this show a review from the New York Times that was negative. And it was not just negative, but it was dismissive. It was damning. Yeah. And and yes, kind of sneering. Exactly. And… The reviewer called it, like, pulpy and trashy and compared it to, like, soap operas. Like, basically, he was saying The Big Little Lies was L-I-T-E. And… And i sorry to cut you off, but it was… now we're getting mad again, right? right? Well, and it was was all dog whistle words that mean, hey, this is for women. That's right. This is trash for women. Right. Not important for people who are important. That's right. And what… Obviously, we've learned since is that you can dislike Big Little Lies. Maybe you might not like the acting or maybe you didn't like how it was cut and maybe you thought that Bonnie was underwritten. But it was not L-I-T-E because this was a show that dealt with women's trauma. And the reason why so many women really related to it is because it portrayed their lives, yes, in like a… Beautiful Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon by the beach way, but it really went deep into the politics and the drama and the hurt and the sensitivities of being parents in a community trying to live up to what good parenting and what good coupling is. Sure. And it um, addressed a truth that is especially true for women, which is no matter how good you look, no matter how hot your partner, no matter how bright Perfect. your children, yeah, you know, it. you still have pain and you still have to maintain that image because ain't nobody wants to listen to your pain if you look that way. That's arguably a uniquely female perspective mm-hmm. or a uniquely privileged perspective or wealthy perspective or all of the above. But the fact that it was showing something true that you know, you have trauma, you're just not allowed yep. to talk about it, I think was another big yes. resonance for people. Yes. And there are legitimate criticisms of Big Little Lies to be made. Was it super white? For sure. Was it perhaps unfairly weighted in certain class discussions? For sure. Could it get better in many of those areas? 100%. Were those the criticisms in the New York Times piece? No. No, it was like it I think it more or less said these were bitchy women being bitchy. You yes. know, like it was it missed the point almost it was almost insulting yeah. that the reviewer didn't bother to figure out what the point was. So your point that you can't guarantee a good review regardless, um, but that you're at least in having voices who haven't been heard, you're going to get a fresh review. Yeah. So, good on you, Brie Larson. Absolutely. I'm very excited to hear how the junket is, how your experience is, and whether you think that the other thing about this is whether you think that this shaking it up makes her responses and the responses of the other stars a little less canned, 
right? Because that's the part of a junket that is least likely to change. The part that you talked about where the stars get tired, you only have three minutes. I wonder whether this freshness will freshen up that part of it as well. No, I'm looking forward to like seeing not just the talent, but seeing like the reporters. People that you might not have yeah, seen. That's yeah, that's fresh, right? Um, so yeah, well, I'll let you know in a couple weeks if you guys can wait that long because <laughs> we'll have other things to get to next week, uh, namely the Oscars. I mean, it's incredible to me that even as we sit here, um, there's a lot to talk about. As we we comb through every week in the show, what are we going to talk about? What's show your worky this week? And I don't think that we've ever, ever, ever had a year where there's so much talk still Mm -hmm. about the Oscars, the show. Well, one of those reasons is typically, as we have discussed, the Oscars operates like a well-oiled machine. (laughs) It did. It did. And so we don't really get to see, and this is unfortunate, but we only talk about work sometimes when the work goes wrong. Well, maybe because it's out in the open. If it's any other year, let's say in a parallel universe, because I'm very into parallel timelines, like everybody else watching Russian Doll all the time, in some other universe, Whoopi Goldberg is hosting, Mm -hmm. and they made that announcement in late November, and, you know, we saw those promos that they do, you know, those, like, uh, little canned commercials, and it's her mugging with Oscars, and Mm -hmm. they would have come out maybe, like, 10 days ago, and we'd be like, yeah, and not care. Nope. And, you know, if anything, we'd be talking about the race or the this or the dresses, but we never talk about the Oscar broadcast or the fact that… You know, it, I don't want to jinx anything, but like I've never wondered if the actual show was going to go on before, yeah. right? And yeah, but this year all of that has been exposed in a way that's, you know, probably if the Academy could do it all over again, they wouldn't want it this way. And yet for our purposes, I'm as addicted to the Oscars as ever. Like I find it more compelling than ever. I love this. Like, I am so excited about this year's show. I can't even fucking tell you because of all of this drama. Because we don't really know what's going to happen. And because, you know what I was thinking is that usually if there is any sort of controversy, one of the jobs of the host in the opening monologue and the writers is to kind of call out the elephant in the room and defuse it as soon as possible. Yes. Right? And oh, ha, ha, ha. And then they like cut to Jack right. Nicholson. But I don't know how they're going to do no. that this year. Jimmy's not there to say to Warren, like, Warren, what did you do? Like, that was the joke, right? That was that the, year, yes, the, the La La Land. Yes, yes exactly. Um, but, or, or to, yeah, have a joke that goes by in like a Neil Patrick Harris um, yeah. medley. And it's like, oh, I guess they addressed it. Now mm-hmm. we can move on. It's just all out in the open. But I've also never felt, and you can tell me if I'm being hyperbole because you love to tell me when I'm being hyperbole, but I've never felt before like we might wind up having the Oscars like sitting around the pool at at the hotel. Like at this point, anything could happen. Yeah. It really does feel fly by the seat of your pants. And well, that is what live TV should be. And so you talk about the Oscars would rather us not talk about this maybe, but there was this fantastic article that you sent me. Oh, fantastic. In the New York Times. Yep. 
because somebody knows that this is how we're all thinking and feeling. Yeah. And so they sort of decided to address it. Um, the name of the article, it seems kind of straightforward, this, this article name. The name of the article, which seems like it's going to be fairly straightforward, um, is inside the Academy Awards broadcast. Like, mm -hmm. could anything be blander? And yet. And yet. Well, first of all, what the New York Times was able to do is get, like, an exclusive rendering of the stage design for the Oscar ceremony. And the description from one of the producers is, quote, it almost comes out and hugs you. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the title of the article is Inside the Scramble to Make the Oscar Shorter. Like, they use the word scramble. Like, we don't associate the word scramble with something that is calm, venerable, efficient, established. <laughs> yeah. A scramble is a, okay, let's get to it. I mean, what's next? Come on, everybody get together. No, like the Oscars has been the equivalent of like a university chancellor, you yeah. know, like just like nothing is, everything is steeped in tradition and yeah. old fashioned. The host changes, but the the grand old lady of the whatever is yeah. what it is. And yeah, so one of the things in the article is that they talk about how in past, the past few years, the set has been like a jewel box. Right. Um, and then they release this rendering of the stage that is not that. <laughs> and you had an opinion of what it looks like. Well, to me, it looks like, and you guys, I'll post the link to the article. To me, it looks like a wig. Like it looks like a hairpiece and uh, with teeth. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't see the teeth at first, but now I get it. See, I look at this. You said hair piece, and then I looked at it and went, oh, it's like Barbie hair. It's like a snap-on Lego yeah. piece of of hair for your plastic doll. Um, yeah, I don't I don't quite see how it comes out and hugs you, but maybe something is not quite in the design. Maybe the rendering is different from – I mean, I now I can't wait to see the stage even more. Like – this is doing nothing to dampen my enthusiasm. If anything, my enthusiasm, as I just said, is even more heightened. And so the article is essentially an interview with the show's producer, Donna Giliotti. Uh, what? I No, I'm just, uh, how dare you say Giliotti and reference Gili with well, this poor woman's name. This is what I was saying. Like, this woman has Gili in her name. Anyway. I thought it would have been Gigliotti, but sure. Okay, I'm going to say Gigliotti, yep. and you, I'll if you go are, Gigliotti, and we'll, like, if we'll you collect are our... of Italian persuasion, let us know. Yep. Um, but one of the things that she says is she acknowledges what I was just expressing about my heightened enthusiasm for the show because of all this drama. And she actually says, if we've learned anything over the last few months, it is that people feel very connected to the Oscars. Everyone has an opinion and a passion. So what she's doing is she's using the drama... And the, like, I guess you could call it mistakes of the last few months in their favor. She's like, all of this has created an appetite for the Oscars that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise. Well, look, she's doing that before she ever gives that quote because she agreed to do this piece, right? Somebody from the Times calls up and says, listen, it's been a crazy year and we, we want to come down and can we cover this like... The piece, the piece starts nine days to showtime, um, which is to say uh, basically last Friday, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she's like, yeah, sure, come down. Yeah. Knowing that 
this is kind of what they're going to paint. I'm, Either yeah, that I mean, or the Academy themselves reached out and said to the Times, hey, we want Donna to do an interview and this – whatever – Whatever the origin of how this interview came to be, the whole purpose of this interview is to be like, yep, we know what people are saying. We know about the drama and we're saying, hey, it means people care and are super into it. But even this article, again, not to be all snakes eating its own tail, but this article written any other year would have been like, Nine days before the ceremony, lighting technicians try out exciting technique. Like it would not have been… About what the fuck is the show? Yeah. Um, it would have been, yeah, business as usual happens as, yes. uh, what I, or like rains threaten the ceremony yeah. and red carpet must be tented. Zzz, yeah. Or like military precision. So Donna essentially is hired by the Academy to produce this show. Right. And has been for dozens of yeah. years. Yes? Has done for, like, be, has done before. She is a seasoned producer. She has an Oscar herself for Shakespeare in Love. So she's experienced. Mm-hmm. She's been hired by the Academy. So essentially, the Academy is her client. That's right. And, um, you know, she's aware of what's going on. She's not flapped by what's going on. Yeah. Or, you know, one of her quotes is, it would make for a good story if I had a nervous breakdown. Right. Um, but... Yeah, no, she's working for these people. Yeah. And apparently still fine. So here's how it works. The Academy is her client. They hire her and they say, this is what we need from you this year. We need to keep the show to three hours. Okay, she says, I will take that direction and I will produce a show for you that is three hours. Uh Uh-oh, we don't have a host. Okay. Uh, well, well, that's, well <laughs> that's a time savings, for sure. Sure, great. I can, I can save time that way. We can turn this into a win. And, like, let's be real. Like, that that was maybe the, yeah, maybe that was the win that was come up with. They don't say in the article whose brainchild that was. But when Kevin Hart noped out of the whole situation <laughs> rather than be a human being. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they called everybody in Hollywood before they realized that nobody was going to take his sloppy seconds. Right. Um, yeah. Whose idea was it to go hostless? I don't know, but that's a time savings. Right. They turn it into a win. Then she says, hey, in order for me to do my job, which is to keep the show at three hours, I've got to cut some musical numbers. So let's just do the most popular songs nominated this year. Which they say, yeah, yeah, sure. And then there's an uproar. Yeah. An outcry from (laughs) all the people who have been watching the Oscars for 25 years. Hello, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And everybody else. Yeah. Um, so then it's a reversal. Okay, no, 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 Donna. We can't cut uh, three of the five songs. All the five songs have to be included. And she, you know, we talked about cards earlier in the game, yeah. right? The reason that we know to do cards is because I, my beginnings in show business, everybody and their brother lines up a show with cards, but my beginnings in show business are from live award shows. And those cards are constantly being put up and down. And she had thrown away... The joy of throwing away time of three cards with three songs on it that had six minutes. Yeah. And then she has to put them back in. Oh, we're back up. (laughs) Right. There's a program that's always showing you how heavy or light the show is. And it's green when you're good and it's red when you're heavy. Yep. And watching that number tick tick back up, awful. Yeah. So, So there you are. Your client now says, nope. 
we can't do that. And now you are like, okay, well, I've got to listen to my client. Like, this is what they want. Or so. my boss, right? Or my like boss. It's, exactly. Yeah. Well, in these situations, your boss is your client. So now she's back to five songs. Yep. And What so, else can we do? <laughs> what else can we do? Let's cut some categories from <laughs> the live broadcast, but we'll present them in the commercials. We'll edit them and throw them back into the broadcast. But it'll be too. fine. It'll be fine. Nobody yeah. cares about those ones. Okay. So the Academy says, yeah, yeah, sure. Here are the four categories. Editing? What? What's that? No, yeah. who, nobody cares. Cinematography? No, 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 no. And <laughs> there's an uproar. Everybody like writes a letter. Yeah. All these big name people write a letter, they sign it, and they have to reverse it again. So Donna's like, okay, shit, my client now wants this back in. Well, no, I'm going to go ahead and with with <laughs> apologies to Donna Giliotti or Gigliotti, I'm going to now be on the phone with them. Ready? No, you told me that you needed to cut time. I have cut the time. No, I understand that they don't want the awards to be cut, but we got to cut something because you said that you wanted the show under three hours. Is that still your priority? Yeah, but we can't, they're mad. Yeah, but is that still your priority? I, we just, we just want, our priority now is to make everybody happy. Right. Okay, yeah. fine. Fine. Goodbye. I have work to do. <laughs> Click. Right? Right. And so now in this interview, you'll note they will not be nailed down at three hours. Well, she, they <laughs> called her back. This is why I wanted to do that little exercise because... <laughs> Because this is why we're laughing over calling them a client or a boss, right? Is that they actually had the audacity to call her back up and say, but okay, but okay, so all those awards are back in, but okay, don't cut anything. Don't cut any songs. Yeah. But can you still make the show under three hours? (laughs) (laughs) And her response? No. <laughs> she was like, no. No, I can't do that. Like, I cannot do that for you. Which, you know, part of the reason we're enjoying this so much is because she's such a badass. Yeah. Um, and she's a badass from the first yeah. frames of this article. It's beautiful. But yeah, no, something yeah. has to give. There's that expression in TV that I assume is also an expression in every other industry. And it says uh, you can have – you can have it fast, you can have it cheap, or you can have it good, but only two out of the three. Mm-hmm. So you want it good, and <laughs> in this case, right. uh, you want it cheap, which is to say not having to pay reparations to all the people who are mad about you cutting right. an award or a song or whatnot. It's not going to be fast. No. Like, it's going to be as long which as it's going to be. Which one do you want to let go? Yeah. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> If fast is a priority, I tried that. I tried cutting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to threaten cheap or good. So this is where we are. Look, and where we are is amusement, excitement for me. I mean, I'm pretty sure you're pretty excited. Look, I'm very excited. And again, not to, you know, heap too much joy on this article, but one of the reasons is that it opens as on Friday morning, nine days before the awards, um... They've just confirmed Serena Williams as mm-hmm. a presenter. And I and it says, you know, with nine days until showtime, everything seemed to be coming together. And then her phone rang. Yeah. Which I know that feeling so well. And it might amaze people that something as big and venerable and whatever as the Oscars is still so, so, so last minute. But it's it's last minute. It's a thrill ride. Yeah. And yes, I would watch a daily diary yeah. of Donna. 
Gigli Gigliotti um, because I believe she is the unflappable. Like, yeah. I believe that she's going to deliver a show of some sort. But you know what's smart about her is that however this interview came to be, um, how, how, but you know what's smart about her mm-hmm. is that however this interview came to be, whether it was the Academy who set it up to, like, generate excitement or the New York Times who called them up and said, hey, let's talk about this, is – they offered, the Academy and Donna, offered the New York Times a pretty great exclusive. They opened on Serena Williams. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so that is something we didn't know before this article came out. Hey, at the Oscars, we've been talking about presenters and exclusive presenters. Allegedly, supposedly, the Oscars were telling like celebrities, if you present at the Globes or the SAGs, you can't come and present at our place, whatever. So presenters have been like a source of drama too. And then they drop the greatest ever, the greatest of all time. Yeah. And they, in the first like two sentences, they're like, yeah, so we got Serena. And that's smart too. You know, like she knows that in this interview, she's going to have to concede. Yeah, we're not going to keep the show to three hours. Yeah, it has been a little bit messy, but guess what? I'm giving you this and I'm pretty sure you're going to open your article with Serena Williams. And they did. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what that speaks to is why we're talking about this in the context of having a client, having a boss. We've all been in this situation, right? Inside the industry, outside the industry, where people are picking at you and what you're doing and you're saying, I'm just trying to give you what you want. What is it that you want? Yes. And being so frustrated with the idea that, you know, they can't decide. And one of the things that I love is that even within this article, even as you say, acknowledging that, yeah, it's going to be long and yeah, we're trying, we tried some things that didn't work. She also has places where the buck stops Mm -hmm. and you need to be that person figuring out how to be when the buck stops, figuring out how to present that idea to your bosses, I think is like show your work 305 or whatever. It's it's that thing of I'm going to be here and I'm going to do what you want, but this is where the line stops. I'll yeah. give you an example that I loved. Um, she talks about how there are no plans to incorporate uh, regular people uh, that's me quoting the article, um, the way Jimmy Kimmel used to, right? Yeah. Have people come into the room. She says, I love everyday people, says Gigliotti, who lives in Manhattan. I ride the subway with them every day in New York. Everyday people don't get me ratings. <laughs> well, it's true. Like, what Jimmy did was he bust in a bunch of people from, like, an adjacent movie theater. Yeah, and they thought they were going to go see whatever. Whatever. And that got old in, like, 10 seconds. Yeah, like it's, they walk around, but then it's just awkward. Yeah. But you know, the reason she brought it up is because you know that was on a phone call somewhere Uh where somebody was like, but Donna, I mean, maybe like, um, we did what Jimmy did. Maybe let's have that people like, uh, people like maybe people. And she's like, and she had to say, no. Good decision. Yeah, we're not doing that. But this is the thing when you're in this position, you have, you find yourself having to say no more and more often, right? Like you have to put it down because what's that expression? If you, not if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything, but like, uh, what, you know, that thing of like, I'm not good at these phrases, uh, but that kind of idea, right? Like you have to make some decisions or I know what it is. If you try to please everybody, you please nobody. Right. That is a hard work 
lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. If you choose to say, yes, I can make it fast and cheap and good, it will probably be none of those three or not appreciably so. So that to me was the biggest, awesomest part of this is that she's like, yeah, no, I draw lines. Yeah. And where they may have overruled her on cutting songs or cutting awards, she's like, I draw the goddamn line. At real people. (laughs) At regular people. (laughs) Well, on that note, sort of, um, to end this, I just wanted to address a few emails that we got from people about the show, Mm. about the, like, category controversy and cutting categories. And, of course, like… Generally speaking, a lot of people understood why the members of the Academy who were upset were upset. And we all got it. Like, none of us or you and I don't think that editing and cinematography and makeup and whatever should be discounted. No. And in fact, one of my favorite tweets uh, was from somebody named Will Zmack, who's somebody I know, who said, uh, yeah, all the actors freaked out when they realized that the editors could say, oh, okay, then I'll just release the raw footage I had to work with. (laughs) Exactly. Now, that's on one side of the conversation. But the other side of the conversation were people who are like, you know, this is so wrong because the night is supposed to be about the winners. To a point, yes, the winners win the awards. But the thing is, the Oscars are on television. Mm -hmm. They're not happening without, like, inviting millions of people from around the world, needing them to watch. It used to happen in a ballroom. Nobody televised it. And that's fine. If you want to do it that way, 100%. And look, millions of awards do, right? Like in all uh, kinds of industries, there are the Employee Appreciation Awards or the Celebrations of Excellence or whatnot. And there are no timers shooing people off stage. There is somewhere a the harried showrunner wishing that the CFO would shut up. But, right. you know, you're right. There are no other awards that are also meant to be entertainment for the people at home. We don't watch the dentist awards. That's right. So, I mean, specifically, and I'm, I'm reading an email from somebody called T, mm-hmm. but there were several other emails about this. And T says, the show is for the award winners, not thirsty celebs hogging live camera time. The idea of cutting key awards from the broadcast, even advising winners to cut once-in-a-lifetime speeches, is BS and rude at best. Here's an idea. Cut the pitter-patter, FF, for fuck's sake. The cute bit you posted with RDJ and Tina Fey, for example, went on for two fucking minutes. Unnecessary. That's longer than winners get for their acceptance. Not cool. Listen, I get it. Yes, the awards are for the winners. But this is also a television show. It gets nominated... It gets nominated at the Emmys. It wins Emmys. Which, I mean, (laughs) this is a thing where our shows get a theme that we didn't know, but that's snake eating its own tail right there. So in order to be nominated for Emmys and to win Emmys and to be considered Emmys, it is entertainment. It's a television show that's made for viewers to consume. That's right. So yes, totally none of the categories should have been cut and they aren't anymore and that's great. But is it a little bit incumbent on the winners and the people there to make it entertaining and to not thank their lawyers and their agents? Yeah. Well, you know, you're you're giving me an idea for an article that I probably will never pitch or write. But if you are out there and able to do this, find me 
like I would read an article from winners who are like, here's what I should have said in my speech. I would read that every live long day. If there are people who say, yeah, I wasted time rummaging for the name of my kid's second nanny and didn't get there and I wasted my time and didn't yeah. say this pithy quote that I once read, yeah, I would love to see that. Um, yeah, have your speeches be entertaining. That's the other part of it, I guess, is that for millions of viewers at home, the winners who aren't well-known celebrities are essentially regular people, right? And they would think of themselves as regular people. Right. That said, once you are a winner on a broadcast like this, you're also essentially talent. But surprise, you have to write your own script and it better be good. Yeah. Speaking of writers. So yeah, write something entertaining. Write something pithy. You know when people get out a piece of paper and you sort of are like, oh, they're not just off the cuff, but then it's awesome? Yeah. That's always better than somebody who gets up there and is just like, and Kenneth, Marie, and Jameson, I mean, Uh thank you. And oh God, uh, kids, go to bed. Yeah. And no, once you win, you are a part of the show. And so yeah, have something to say. And think about the fact that you wish you had a writer to do it. So that's just our point. This is a television show too. It's not just a thing where people go and pick up their awards. It's not just about the winners. That's right. No. So make it a good TV show. And if it's a good TV show, I'll fucking watch for six hours. Absolutely. And, you know, as we say, like, if you look like you want to be there, if you look like you're having a great time, then, yeah, you're part of the show. You're part of what's happening. And nobody's going to wish that your award hadn't been televised. Somebody should write that article, though. Anyway, we don't know if from now until the Oscars there will be any more drama. (laughs) It's entirely... Like, look, if you are really smart, if you're riding this train of, oh, inside the scramble, get me more scramble because that ensures that every eye will be on that TV. I love the scramble. I can't wait for the Oscars. Uh, Make it a great show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It can be hard to be kind of Oscars adjacent, right? As I said about junkets earlier on, if you are anything else happening in entertainment or in the world, you essentially are taking a snooze from Thursday to Monday because it's all anybody's going to talk about. Yeah. But it's interesting when you're in a position as people are, say, on Saturday Night Live, Mm -hmm. to capitalize on and comment on what's going on. And you pointed out to me uh, something that has kind of come up out of the Oscars that's that's really kind of been a a surprise bloom in the middle of all this. Look, Saturday Night Live is one of those things, like the Oscars, where people love to complain about. And comment. And because it's been around for so long, there's a lot of compare and contrast that's possible, right? People are like, it's not funny anymore. And, oh, it's so old. And I hate the writers. And like, there's merit to many of these criticisms, but like the Oscars, it's like a, an institution at this point. It's and a life cycle. Yeah. You watch right. it have ebbs and flows and whatnot. Right. And you and I though are 
I love it. You love it. In good times and bad, I love to watch and see what's going on. But I think that it's become less of a casual pop culture conversation than it used to be. Is, would you Would you agree with that? Yeah. I feel like there are fewer people who want to talk about it Monday morning. For sure. Fewer and fewer people. And yet, I think for there are people like us who are out there who study it, like who watch the trends and who are there to really connect the dots that sometimes take a long time to reveal themselves to you. And so it's always fun to really look for those dots to eventually like start to sparkle. Right. Or to be surprised when they are out there prematurely, Pete Davidson. And then there are those, I mean, like we could dedicate a whole episode to Saturday Night Live, but then there are those who are so good steadily that they're almost overlooked. You know, I'll give you credit all day, all the time, but you have always been Cecily Strong's number one fan. Oh, yeah. yeah from yeah. like season one. And you were always saying to me, she does the most. Like, you know, um, in a lot of the digital shorts she's in, you've pointed out the subtle things she does. Um, when she was on Update, she was great on Update. Right. And also underrated and undervalued on Update. Absolutely. And, you know… I think part of SNL is we talk a lot about like keeners and people who are tryhards or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, if you watch any section of that show, watch any consecutive eight episodes, let's say. Yeah. And you can see, yeah, people who are giving it their all when they're in the back, mm -hmm. people who are in a scene just to say one line and then leave, or people who get thrown in because they're good team players, right? Because yeah. they'll do like wave hands yeah. in the back or whatever it's for, for sure. That's what's shitty, and that's what I will sort of criticize SNL for, is the fact that Cecily Strong, I don't know why she hasn't been more of a quote, I'm using air quotes right now, breakout. And I wonder if it's because Cecily and Kate McKinnon mm -hmm. came around at the same time. Of course, Kate McKinnon is so spectacular, and it's almost as if we can't have two breakout, high-performing, reliable, consistently fucking awesome women come out of that show at the same time. Right. Or people have an appetite for one over the other, right? Yeah. That it's… Um, Actually, maybe I'm wrong on that because Tina and Amy were there at the Tina same time. Tina and Amy were there at the same time, but Tina and Amy were also… Uh, they were working together. They were uh, building things that were strong together. They had a real partnership in a way that actually often… Uh, Kate McKinnon and A.D. Bryant often work yeah. together in that way. They often play off one another. Um, but that said, it doesn't necessarily take something away. The the sort of counterpoint there is Kenan Thompson, mm -hmm. who has been on the show since yeah. we were children at this so point. So reliable. Um, but he's now getting yeah. the cred that he has deserved all this time. He won the Emmy last year after, I think, his ninth season on the show. So it's always surprising you, yeah, sort of when people come to the fore. There yeah. are also people who, as much as they're great performers, mm -hmm. really shine as writers or writers who become performers and right. vice versa. So, you know, there's a lot of… It never happens quite the same way twice. So I'm waiting for Cecily Strong, but the real reason we're talking about SNL now is because I, I pitched to you… Um, a story about another feature player, someone who's been around for about three years now. Yep. And has only just in the last two or three weeks found maybe like the thing 
that could push her into getting more like sketch time, more airtime, more play. You think this is going to make her into a name? I think that this is the first, like, if we're connecting dots, this, if we look back in four or five years, might be the first dot that links to more and more dots. How about that? Sure. So we're talking about Melissa Villasenor, who actually uh, was a featured player for the past two years, but is now a full cast member. Featured player is those sort of secondary, they're like... I don't know, cast apprentices. They, yeah. it, For all intents and purposes, they are in the cast, but they're not billed that way. And then she was moved to main cast, as it's called, yeah. this year. And she caught your eye a few weeks ago because she went on Weekend Update and yeah. did… Essentially a Lady Gaga impression. Yeah, except she's playing herself <laughs> playing Lady Gaga. Right. She's addressed as Melissa the whole time on yep. Weekend Update, which is a thing that they play back and forth with, right. right? You can show up as Melissa or you can show up as right. a character. And that's part of like the joke is that Jost is like, um, Melissa, are you like, are you trying to cosplay Lady Gaga? And she's like, no, what are you talking about? I just, I just saw A Star is Born like five minutes ago and I just, you know, heard of this song. Meanwhile, she knows every beat to Shallow. Right. And so here's what's funny and interesting about that is that there's not, there's no real joke in that first joke, right? It's yeah. Melissa Villasenor being in love with Lady Gaga and kind of embodying her. And I was watching, trying to see what it was that was so compelling, because it is compelling. Really compelling. But she's not over the top. I think the, I guess the skill in it is that she's parodying without quite going all the way over the top yeah. into parody. And that might be because Lady Gaga is hard to do an impression of. Well, she's already so extra. She's so mannered. Yeah. yeah that anything that you do to <laughs> overemphasize that yeah. manner, um, like that's the point of sketching caricature, yeah. right? Is you're supposed to overdo whatever anybody right. does. But she's so over the top that essentially you can do her just by being there. That's right. Like you can't, there are certain people that you can't overdo, like Celine Dion. There's no way you can out extra how extra Celine already is. No, anybody doing a Celine Dion impression is going to be a lesser version of Celine Dion herself. That's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is the trick here is that she moderated it or modulated whatever it was Melissa did. And she did a great job. Plus, she did a great job singing, which always helps. Right. Like she hit that, you know, that part in Shallow, the uh, 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 uh. She hit it really well. Are you playing it? I, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that, uh, yeah, there's no, I have no argument about her singing and I have a lot of arguments about a lot of singing. Yeah. I almost got crucified for some opinions I had about the Grammys on Twitter. So I have no criticisms of her vocals live. Right. Yeah. And then what happened was just this past weekend on the Don Cheadle hosted episode, they did a family feud thing, a celebrity family feud. Yeah. And she reprised her performance yeah. as Lady Gaga and, once again, was really funny. Right. Um, and, it, yeah, it's deeply enjoyable. That was the the headline that came out of most of the reviews of the last SNL, right? Um, but I guess it's interesting in terms of talking about what you think about what this means. So in researching this uh, before we did this podcast, uh, I found two things. Number one, I found a 
YouTube channel from Melissa Villasenor where she's doing a Lady Gaga impression as early as 2011. Yep. Um, and it's not the same and it's not as great as what she did on SNL, but it's there, right? She's yeah. been working on it. The other thing is that her debut appearance on SNL was as Sarah Silverman in a Celebrity Family Feud episode, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And Sarah Silverman was on Saturday Night Live as a featured player. And don't make me say it again. Snake tail. We know. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Is this one of those things where we're finally ready to pay attention? Or is this one of those things where, oh, if you have a something, an impression or whatever, you have to bide your time for this long? Well, I love this little discovery of yours. Like you just went on YouTube, you discovered it, and that was your connecting dots, so to speak, to yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, really pound an analogy. But I think that, you know, for people who are SNL nerds, we all know they do an audition, right? Yes. And a lot of them bring impressions into their auditions. And there are very famous ones. We don't have to list it. But <clears throat> my <laughs> we don't have to nerd out that hard. But if I'm going to make an educated guess based on our SNL nerdery, I would think that at her SNL audition, the Gaga impression was something that she dropped in there. Sure. And to your point, I do think that it's been something she's sitting, she's been sitting on for whatever reason, maybe the writers didn't think that she was ready for it yet, or that she had gotten it to a place that was like legit primetime worthy. Yeah. Or it's on the board with those same cards we were talking about. And then something happens, it gets bumped and Lady Gaga does not make it into the show that week. Yeah. But then, then comes 2018 and the release of a movie called The Star is Born, and Lady Gaga becomes a movie actress and nominated for Oscar. And it, it just so happens that in the perfect storm of all of that, where Gaga is also giving these over-the-top uh, acceptance speeches and like a large number of people who would also watch award shows and SNL are familiar with though that the performance of those acceptance speeches the manners the exactly and the way she looks right now like she's not in rock star mode she is in no you can see her face and her features for the yeah. first time she's in actress mode that's right and so this is the perfect convergence of all of these like all of these things where hey when you put in the work you're finally ready for it right and you know sometimes that's a footnote And I'm sure there are people all through SNL history who would be like, oh, my impression of whoever really never got enough play. And then sometimes you're Kate McKinnon when Hillary Clinton is running for president, right? It's all about the kind of the alchemy of timing and readiness coming together. And also, I should say, some SNL players who are really, really strong never really do impressions not of famous people anyway, right? They do things and characters, but that's a particular skill that can only be exploited at such a time when it comes together. Like Drunk Uncle or whatever, they do those, but they might not be able to do like Zach Galifianakis. Well, I really, one of the first things I thought of when you pitched this, because now Melissa Villasenor is on your radar in a way that she hadn't been, And I read an article a few weeks ago that I loved so much, and it was talking about the Vanessa Bayer Totino sketches. Yes. Do you remember these? Yes. Um, So 
we'll link to the article, which is actually about the Good Ones podcast, which is about jokes and um, the creators of the new show. The other two are, of course, uh, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider were the head writers of SNL. Blah. There's the bio. But they talk about how the Totino's sketches, which are, you know, were focused around uh, the Super Bowl, I think, to begin with, and are about this, like, sad inner life of this woman. They talk about how Vanessa Bayer had done all these characters, but it was how quiet the character was, like, how silent and inward she was in essentially almost a non-speaking role that made them kind of inspired and kind of see who she was and what else they could do with her, right? right? Like, it's not always the big showy, like, ah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sketches. Uh, that's an official term. And prior to that, she had done Miley and, like, the kid who… Uh, oh, Jacob goes, the Bar Mitzvah Boy right. is one of my favorites. I mean, she, right. was, she was super strong. She had yeah. a lot of things going on and, yeah. But those were louder. Yes. To your point. That's right. They were kind of louder and they were very mannered in a particular way. But yeah, the one of the ones that people remember most is a real quiet, essentially acting role, yeah. right? So it's really interesting to kind of go, oh, and I think maybe Kyle Mooney does a lot of those as well. Like he does sort of the sad, introspective boy. Right. And that becomes kind of a feature of his, of his performance. So I'm interested in the earnestness of this impression. Like, I'm interested yeah. in the fact that she didn't go way, way over the top. Yeah. Um, to see what it is you want to see from her next. Like, that's what I'm curious about. Well, I think that, like, what you're also saying is, after this, I wonder if the writers will be like, hey, what else you got? Because yeah. this one went over so well. And that's what's exciting. Like, from now until the rest of the season, I'm going to be watching – does Melissa Villasenor get more airtime? Does she get more to do? Has she been given more opportunities to show what else she got? And, you know, sometimes too, often, of course, people on SNL write their own stuff. And in my limited experience with sketch comedy, sometimes a real heavy hitter will write something and then just say, just trust me, it's going to be great. And you kind of go, I don't see how. And then they do it and it's great. So I think it also gives more trust, right? If you can pull off something like this, then it's like, okay, we trust you. Go try your wacky thing at five to one. Okay, go do your like nutty idea that I have no idea what that means. But yeah, sure. The host has essentially gone home at this point. Try it out. I'm I'm excited. You you genuinely made me excited to see what she's got in her in her back pocket to do next. Well, I'm glad. Usually you're the one. Well yeah you you have a you have a pet SNLer now. I'm into it. So, yeah, next time we are back in these chairs, uh, you will have, inevitably, you will have a new pet or several from the Oscars, and somebody (laughs) will have broken our hearts in some way or other, right? Um, I'm super excited, and we will be obviously not gone. You know where to find us on Instagram, on Twitter, the night of the show, and in the wee hours when we should be typing, and I decide it's time for more coffee. Check our stories that night. Absolutely. Um, Hit us up with all your thoughts, especially about the uh, inside the scramble and how you're feeling about what the Oscars look like. Uh, And we can't wait to hear what you've been thinking. And don't forget, we will be back next week um, with a very special episode. We hope you enjoy it. You make it sound like an after school special. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's worth your time. Um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave comments, leave reviews. They always help us. Definitely uh, send us more notes, emails. We want to include some of those in the next podcast. Uh, until then, work hard. Show your work. Bye. Bye. Bye.